0: This is Will van der St Dionys Church, just recording Sunday's sermon for a second time. Unfortunately it didn't record and so if you're looking for the Proverbs 16 message from July the 10th this is an abridged version and the reading uh, is uh, from chapter 16 verses 1 to 4. To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for the day of disaster." Well I was thinking about um, the way in which spontaneity was for a time a luxury Uh, people would go off to the airport without a a booking and say oh we're just gonna go uh, for the first thing that takes our fancy. I've never done it but I thought it looked like a fantastically sort of luxurious thing to do because it used to be that we were all busy planning and people who could be spontaneous were sort of showing us that they had this unbelievable flexibility in their lives that kind of enabled them to be free of the burdens of planning But since Covid, our relationship has definitely changed because we all need to be spontaneous now. Spontaneous spontaneity has become a necessity um, because you never know what's going to happen. So you've just basically got to do whatever you want to do straight away, lest the flight won't take off or, or, you know, there'll be some sort of cancellation. Planning and having your plans realised is the new luxury. So that's really uh, supercharged people's love of planning. Proverbs 16, one makes perfect sense to me. Plans are at the center of a man's or a woman's heart. In reality, we love having plans. And when I ask Christians, you know, what what, what plans have you got? They, they They talk about plans, but really they're talking about goals. You know, my ambition for a new job or my desire to, you know, build this new business or my desire for a family or relationship or my desire for uh, this promotion at work, wherever it happens to be. But it's very much a destination plan, what I'd call a goal. And really, when we think about this relating to Proverbs 16.1, you can see this sort, of, this sort of heart of ours, the d- desire of our heart to realise this potential goal. And it's quite a personal thing. It's quite challenging to be vulnerable about your plans because you think, well, what if someone doesn't really, you know, appreciate them? And uh, I I remember sort of generally trying to avoid prayer ministry as a a young Christian because I thought, you know, what if God kind of interrupts my plans and has got something else to say about them? I think probably many of us have have sort of thought well we'll quickly we'll do what we want to do and then get God to kind of rubber stamp it later and if we've succeeded somehow that's a sign that God willed it. So you kind of, you know, you don't ask for permission, you just uh, acknowledge what you've achieved at the end of the day and said, oh God, you know, thanks very much that I've now got this new job, please bless me in it. So we've tried to edit uh, any scrutiny out of our plans and goals but but the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, is saying actually that's not realistic because in 16 uh, part B you've got this, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. So in the heart of man are these plans, but Uh, on the tongue of God is some sort of challenge, some sort of um, finality, some sort of oversight and that and that's that makes me feel uncomfortable if I'm once, I'm sure that makes many of us feel uncomfortable, that we aren't if you like autonomous masters of our plans. We may love making plans but we're not autonomous with their outcomes. And so Solomon's acknowledging here despite being the most powerful person potentially in the world at the time that whilst he had plans in his heart ultimately God was somehow in charge of his life and you know I I think it's very important but very hard for us to acknowledge and welcome God if you like into the heart of those plans which we hold so kind of dearly and often become so foundational to our identities and say actually Lord I'm going to commit this to you and, and you direct me or you amend or you offer me something else. It's quite kind of counterintuitive to do that. I think part of the way we um, protect our plans is by steeping them in virtue and Solomon addresses this in verse 2 he says all a man's ways seem innocent to him but motives are weighed by the Lord and um, we fool ourselves so often with this idea that you know we're doing things for a very clear reason you know if I if someone says to me you know Will what's your plan and I give them a sort of defined goal uh, like I want to see their you know church service double in size at the five in 12 months time so that stated goal that I'm ambitious for um, I might say well it's because I want to grow grow the kingdom of God you know that's an obvious stated and benevolent goal it sounds virtuous and so the likelihood is that you're going to agree with my goal and therefore support me in achieving it The more virtuous, the the better I present my motives, the more likely you are to be supportive of my ambitions. But it says here in verse 2b, the motives are weighed by the Lord. There's Freud who said that only 20% of human thought was conscious and everything else was below the waterline. So we're really good at stating our conscious motives, but what if 80% of what we're really driven by is, is beneath the surface? And it's natural to believe we've got best intentions at heart, but that doesn't mean that they're the only things that we've got at heart. So you know, if my goal is to grow double the size of the 5pm service here at Sun which isn't a stated goal by the way, just just an example, you know, what if actually some of my motives are that I feel like I'm successful? What if it's that I feel that my preaching is, you know, in, is, is bringing people in. So how, so somehow that, that's an achievement for me that feeds my ego in some way. What if it's that, um, you know, I want just uh, to grow the kind of teams in the church to kind of lighten my workload. You know, there's loads of reasons why I might want to achieve that goal that aren't all around my sort of apparently kind of benevolent and innocent motivation. I I think it's really important here that we don't sort of disempower the church by saying that only if you've got pure motivation for anything should you do anything. If we said that effectively everyone who's involved in leading in any sort of capacity would all stand down and say I'm really sorry I can't possibly participate in this ministry anymore because I've clearly got mixed motivation. I think it's fair to say that everyone has got a mixed motivation and that nothing we really do in life is purely benevolent um, because that's what it means to be a broken human. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 1.18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So Paul's quite relaxed about motivation, he's saying look, actually what's important is that the job gets done and on that level I would agree with him having a mixed motivation for our plans is okay but I would say the key the key thing here is acknowledging that and you know, Paul acknowledges that there were mixed motivations behind some of these sort of early believers proselytizations and there was obviously ambition and that was problematic but he wanted Christ to be preached. Uh, I, I think within ourselves We have to acknowledge our mixed motivations and by acknowledging our mixed motivations we maintain a sort of pathway to health. If we're hungry for a goal but we don't know what's driving us there we're likely to wound others, hurt ourselves and and choose to do the wrong thing ultimately. There are two things that are central to success where our motivations are concerned. The first one as I said is is really to recognise that my motivations are often mixed and acknowledge that that is okay but I should work hard to unpick what those motivations might be. John Ortberg coined the phrase shadow mission and he suggested behind the benevolent good mission of God we had a shadow mission that in some way served ourselves and it it looks very much like God's ordained mission for you but it's just kind of five degrees off course. If we operate behind, if we allow that shadow mission to operate behind our given mission unchecked Increasingly, our given mission gets undermined by our shadow mission, and, and that's where there are great dangers. It's obviously been a very, very big week in politics, and you know, the, the reality is that we are looking at a government who has had, if you like, great ambition, but potentially whose motivation has been distorted by a shadow mission. And uh, it's been very exciting to see the gifts of the Spirit of God, if you like, alive across all the different news feeds and social media channels not that anyone's going to claim that they're the fruits of the Spirit, but people are caring about kindness, gentleness, goodness, love, self-control, you know, these, these kind of core values everyone's hungry for because they're saying, actually, the goal is not the only thing that matters, it's the motivations behind the goal, the, the things that are driving us to the goal that matter. It seems that, to me that for a long time in politics, everyone said, well, it doesn't matter how you live or really, or, or, or even how you do what you do, what matters is that you get results we've seen that particularly with Brexit. You know, get Brexit done has been a kind of buzzword for we don't really care how you get Brexit done, we just want to get Brexit done. So that driver towards the goal has led to lots and lots of conflated and conflicting motivations. And now we find ourselves in a position where the person who ostensibly delivered Brexit is no longer our prime minister. And people are c- crying out for a government which is rooted in values rather than in amb- ambitions. Uh, So let's think a bit more about this, the second half of what makes good motivations. Psychologist Abraham Maslow famously uh, coined this idea about a hierarchy of needs and it's very often portrayed as a pyramid of five levels. The first four levels denote things that are deficiency needs, so there are uh, physiological needs, our safety needs, our love and belongingness needs and our esteem needs. But at the top of the pyramid are what he calls our self-actualization needs. Now I think this is basically a a de-Christianization of uh, what it means to be kind of fulfilled and fully human. This highest level wasn't about deficiency, this was about benevolence, the ability to bless others, to seek personal growth and celebrate experience. Um, and, and, And really Maslow described this level as the desire to accomplish everything that one could. If you like to be fully fulfilled, which we, of course, as Christians believe is only possible through our relationship with God. So, these first four levels of D needs, they're often minor motivations. They're, they're the things that we want for ourselves. And if you think about uh, those D needs when it comes to doing something positive, often it's not our physiological safety needs that are addressed in those mixed motivations are often driven through levels three and four, which are love and belongingness needs, wanting to be loved, wanting to belong, wanting other people to sort of celebrate us and and, and emote, connect with us, you know, really esteem us. Level four, this sort of esteem, uh, my sort of self-worth, my dignity, my sense of mastery, my sense of independence, my reputation and my respect... So often our mixed motivations are driven through levels three and four but level five, this idea of kind of greater benevolence, this idea of actually becoming the people that God has called us to be, um, kind of goes beyond all of those and uh, Maslow described this as meta-motivations. He he said actually these meta-motivations are a sort of energy that go beyond our self-interestedness. Now, if we move into verse three of our passage, it says, "Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed." And what I want to suggest to you is that we overfocus on goal-style plans, uh, achievement-based plans, and we underfocus on what I would call methodological plans. Now, methodological plans uh, are about the way I'm planning to live now rather than the goal I'm seeking to achieve in the future. And this verse is often being taken out of context. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will to succeed. Like it's some kind of jukebox uh, or some sort of slot machine. You, you, you basically put in your demand, you know, I'm going to win the lottery. You pull the handle and say, Lord, I commit this to you and it's going to come up for five bars at the bottom and, and all the gold's going to come flying out. Your plans will succeed. That's, that's absolutely not what this means. What this means is when you commit to the Lord whatever you do, that is in action, your methodological approach, then your plans will succeed and it's an absolute no-brainer. When you you commit yourself to live and work with your meta-motivations, to primary focus, if you like, on the gifts of the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God, then whether you win or lose in terms of achieving your goal you basically win. If you achieve your goal you win and if you don't achieve your goal you still win. So we think about this in terms of of politics, Um, we of course have lots of leaders who fail to achieve their stated goal But are highly esteemed because of their personal integrity, their benevolence, their generosity, their wisdom, their kindness. Those leaders have gone on to have great reputation beyond their season in office and yet other leaders maybe have achieved great things um, but because of their moral substance, because of their methodological approach, they've actually been discredited and this is true not just in politics but in every area of life. Think about you know characters who've offered kind of great philanthropy, when it's actually transpired that in their back room was all sorts of, of, of unkindness or injustice or abuse or control, their philanthropy is discredited because of their lack of methodological value. And, and really what we're called here is not to overfocus focus on, on what it is that the goal in our mind, but actually to focus in on how we can walk every step uh, in the spirit of God every day and ultimately if we do that and we believe that God is good God will only if you like lead us into good places or places of his intent Paul says in Colossians three twenty three, whatever you do work at it with your whole being for the Lord and not for men because you'll know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward it is the Lord Christ that you are serving now, I want to be really honest with you I mean I find this stuff really, really hard. And when I set out as kind of an ambitious young curate in the Church of England in 2004, I had great plans for all the things that you know I thought I was going to achieve in ministry. And and I, I, I'll be real with you, I I probably failed to achieve most of those things that at that time I set out and believed that I was called to achieve. And yet I feel that increasingly as I as I mature in faith, my passion to focus in on the daily walk with Jesus has transformed me and I'm much more satisfied and confident in the ministry that I offer today than I did 17 years ago, because actually there was a lot of hollowness in that ministry. It was very busy, it was very active and it was very forward focused but actually when I look back I kind of wonder about the substance. Now I'm much much more interested in saying Lord you know how can I live and minister today for your glory and ultimately whatever you will me to do Lord I will turn my hand to. Now I'm definitely on a journey with this so please don't elevate my uh, testimony there this is some something of a wrestle but but, but when you think about these meta motivations there's no better list than the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians five twenty two to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, when 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 the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says uh, uh, any uh, and your any of your plans or and your plans will succeed. Um, against such things, there is no law. You see that kind of echo there. Against such things there is no law. You know, we, the reality is that your plans will succeed. Nothing can hold them back because um, ultimately they're God's own formula for living. Making plans is fine, but living out of godly motivations is actually far better. And, and if we can make that our number one ambition, say, Lord, you know, whatever goal I walk towards, I'm happy for you to exchange so long as I'm walking in your ways, we start living aligned with the plans that God has and accepting less clarity about our destination The odd thing about coaching is that I often meet people who have achieved great destinations but experience quite significant futility and hopelessness and actually saying well is the destination really that important? Should we be focusing on the destination or should we be focusing on our daily walk with Jesus? If we want to walk in line with the plans of God we have to you know uh, walk in step with the Spirit of God and in chapter 16 uh, verse 4, he says, the Lord works out everything for his own ends. You know, what, what we're called to here is, uh, is is a level of suspicion about our own motivations. I'd say uh, acknowledging that behind our apparent benevolent motivations are often shadow missions. Recognising that we have a love of planning and a passion, if you like, to achieve a goal. That's very human but acknowledging actually that we're not autonomous in those plans and ultimately God determines the outcome and recognising that our motivations are weighed by the Lord are much more diffuse than we might believe and pressing into living with those greater motivations, those meta-motivations, whilst being wary of those self-esteem needs uh, that often throw us off course. It's about handling, is about handing our autonomy to God and being willing to live out of the fruit of the Spirit regardless of our circumstances. As Paul found out plans don't always work out but meta-motivations do. In Philippians 4.11 he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Again Paul's not saying I can achieve all my plans, through God who gives me strength. He's saying, actually, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And all this is to keep walking out those meta motivations, to keep walking out uh, in step with the spirit of God, to keep walking out of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And recognizing so long as he's doing that he can focus less on the goal, less on the action plan and more on the methodological plans knowing as long as he's doing that he's ultimately uh, going to succeed. We're looking for a government which not only achieves results, of course everyone wants a government that achieves results, but we're looking for a government that achieves results via the right means that actually Works out leadership through meta motivations that have virtue. Ultimately, a government expresses that virtue through integrity rather than deceit. And in a microcosmic way, in our own lives, our prayer today is: Lord, help me to live out Your plans with integrity. Make my motivations uh, Your motivations. You know, transform my motives. I recognise them for good and ill but I long to serve you out of these meta-motivations and every day in step with your spirit, taking you know one step forward towards a goal, but also entrusting that goal to your keeping and being flexible and able to move with your spirit as you lead and direct. Amen. I hope there's some food for thought there for your life groups tonight and also to encourage you as we press back into this subject of um, wisdom in the Proverbs and explore wisdom's call in Proverbs 8 this coming Sunday. God bless you.